0: Welcome back to week three of our series Renewed. I want to, Before I begin, I want to talk to our online audience and say I apologize that the internet failed in this area uh, during the middle of the service last time. And I understand about 25 of you have logged back on to watch the sermon, so thank you for your patience today to do that. Well, we're in this series on Renewed, and as we look at this series, uh, this is kind of an exciting series that's asking us, what does it take for us to really live the life that Jesus wants us to live. You'll recall that in John chapter 10, verse 10, uh, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full or the abundant life. So Jesus had a plan for us to have a life that is, that is fulfilling, it's good, it's abundant, there's joy in it. And I'm going to ask you the question today, you don't have to raise your hand, but as you think about that, do you feel like you're, is that, is that, is that describing your life? Or do you feel like maybe not so abundant, not so full, not so joy-filled right now? During our series, in order to help us embrace that abundant life, we've said we might need to be renewed in some ways. And so in the first sermon, we talked about the importance of, of having a renewed spirit And that a renewed spirit comes in part through repentance, that repentance, unconfessed sin damages our relationship with God. So repentance helps to renew our spirit and make things right with God. Last week we talked about purpose and a renewed sense of purpose, why we're here and what God wants us to do. And and we, we really emphasized last week that God has a plan for all of us collectively, but also for all of us individually. And today I want to talk about a third area of renewal, and it's a renewed love, a renewed love for God, and a renewed love for others. Now, here's the thing about things that we love. They're all things and, uh, that we all are passionate about. And I'm going to name off a few things, and, and we're going to respond in this room by how much we like those things. And I have to say up front before I go through the, the, the topics, uh, no booing, all right? Because I know a few of you will not only will you not love it, you'll hate it, right? So some of these things I'm about to say will not be your cup of tea. Again, I have to give this disclaimer. We had a booer on Thursday night, Betsy. So no <laughs> booing. No booing about cats, please, when we get to that topic, okay? Uh, she's allergic, and so there's a reason that she booed. All right, so no booing, just positive things here in the room today. So as we go to this part, I'm gonna toss out a topic, and if it's something you're passionate about, then you'll, you'll let me know that by either click snapping your fingers or tapping your fingers, or if you're really passionate, you can clap your hands. Okay, here we go. The Indianapolis Colts. Oh, come on. There we go. You know, pray for that toe. That's a whole other story. All right. uh, Pizza. Oh, yeah. big, Big fan. All right. Guess where he's eating lunch today. All right. We know where he's going. All right. Fishing. All right. Cats? Here's the big question. Dogs? Oh, yeah, there we go. All right, clearly we're not all passionate about the same things. If I was to throw one more out, beach, going to the beach? Yeah. We have a winner. All right, we clearly don't all think that everything is equally worthy of our love and our affection. However, however, I hope that we can all agree there's one thing one being, one person that's worthy of our love, of all of our love. Love from every one of us and all the love we have to offer to God. I say that because God really is the one thing that is truly worthy of our love because he has already demonstrated the full depth of his love for us. And because we've seen that and experienced that, Uh, We want to be eager to love God fully, completely. We don't want anything to disrupt our relationship with God. And if if we get that part right, we'll find that we're also able to love others better. In fact, here's the reality. When we have God properly in place as our first love, then we are better equipped to love other people around us. Kyle Eidelman says it this way, and I think it's really spot on. Uh, Kyle is the author of a book called Not a Fan. If you've not read his book, you should. Great book. We used it several years ago for a study here at the church. In Kyle's book, he says, we love others best when we love God the most. Let me make that statement one more time just so you can resonate that and let's sink in. We love others the best when we love God the most. There's a reason why that's true. It's because we're designed uh, to have our lives flow from a relationship with God. Here's kind of the thing I want you to capture from Genesis when God created humanity, when he created mankind. God could have created us any way that God wanted, right? He could have done anything he wanted. If all God wanted was mindless praise, he would have created puppets that all they do is go, love you, love you, love you, love you, like a a woody doll that says, I've got a snake in my boots, right? God could have done that if that's what God wanted, but that's not what God did at all. When God made humanity, when he made the world, God wanted to demonstrate to us that we were important, that we were loved, that we we mattered. All those are things God wanted to demonstrate to us. And God created us with the ability to either accept that love or to reject it altogether. He gave us that kind of free will in our lives he did that because that's the only way the relationship could actually be real and substantive. Anything else would have just been fake, plastic, meaningless. Now, for us to understand what love is as his creation, God constantly demonstrates his love for us so that we can understand what it is to love. And God's highest hope for us is not only that we'll love him, but that we will actually emulate or be like Jesus, be like God in how we love other people. But there's a problem with love. The challenge is that sometimes things that we once loved and thought were really important, well, as life comes along, things we once loved become less important to us. Some of you can even identify to this in your relationship. The passion that you had when you first knew each other at the beginning of your marriage didn't take a lot of work to keep it, the fires kindled. But as the years go on, well, sometimes we have to work at our relationship. And healthy families and healthy couples are the ones that make spending time together a priority. They make commun- communication a priority. They make date night a priority. They still want to do nice things for each other. Well, we have to be careful of waning love. There was a church. It was in Ephesus. It had been founded by the Apostle Paul, and it was a church that had done a lot of incredible things. But we read in the book of Revelation, a book that kind of tells us a lot of it's about things that are yet to come, but some of it's about the churches of that time period, the beginning especially. And the church of Ephesus comes up. And when we read John, John's who wrote the, uh, the, the, the book of Revelation, when we read John, John says, listen, I have a message for the churches. And he talks to seven different churches, and one of those churches is the church in Ephesus. So if you have your Bibles or your phone or tablet or follow along on the screen, we're going to read just a few verses from Revelation together that talk about this church. And they talk, it talks a lot about the importance of love. Listen to what he says in this passage this is uh, an angel's telling john to write these words and uh, then it says these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among seven golden lampstands it's an image of jesus in heaven seeing the light that shines from each of the churches and he's observing that what's happening and jesus is the one speaking here and jesus says i know your deeds I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. And I know that you cannot tolerate wickedness. And I know that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. And you found them false. And this must have been encouraging to them because they were facing persecution from Rome for their faith. Jesus says, I know you have persevered. I know you've endured hardship for my name. And I know you've not grown weary. It's a very encouraging message that he has for them. Until the next part. (laughs) He has this word here, right? He says, yet. Yet I hold this one thing against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you. I will remove your lampstand from its place. With all the good things that the Ephesians were doing, something had happened. They had neglected the passion that they had originally displayed for Jesus. They had lost their zeal. Other things had come in and taken the places of their affection. It's a warning for that church, but it's also a warning for us on this topic of love. Understand this, a love that is neglected can quickly become a love that is lost. A relationship with God is not dissimilar from marriage. Marriage is used frequently to describe the relationship of Christ to his church. And those of you in the room who are married understand this idea that it is important for us to work at keeping our marriage strong, you understand, though, also, that um, as our relationship matures and as we grow, we can take each other for granted. And the same thing happens in our walk with God. When we first become a Christian, think about this. you're so excited. I mean, a lot of you, when you come to Christ, you can't wait to tell people about Jesus. You know, you talk to your friends, like, you know, I got to tell you something, and I I accepted Jesus. My whole life is just better, you know, or I've I've heard you say this. Some of you came to Christ, you're like, you know, I used to spend my weekends partying and doing all these things. and, And, you know, I thought that was the most important thing, but since I've come to faith, that stuff just doesn't matter at all. And I'm so much happier now. And you just couldn't wait to tell people things like that. And and maybe you experience this. You come to faith, and and you can't wait to read the Bible. It's like when you read every page that's new the first time, you're like, this is brilliant. Who wrote this thing? This is great. I mean, it's just awesome. And you love reading God's Word, and and you can't wait to pray. You talk to God in the morning when you first wake up. You talk to Him at lunch. You talk to Him through the day. You talk to Him when you're sitting in traffic. You talk to Him at night. Whenever something comes up, you think about it. When there's a, a need around you, you say, I want to pray about it. You're so on fire for Jesus in the beginning. Is that where you are today? It's easy for us to drift. One of the things that's bad about drifting is that when we drift apart from our spouse or when we drift apart from God, the statement that God gave in the Old Testament to Cain is true of us. Satan is always crouching at the door, looking for a way in to destroy our relationship. He's looking for a way to destroy your marriage. He's looking for a way to destroy your relationship with your children. And he's looking for a way to destroy your relationship with God. So sin often comes into our relationships. And sin always damages us more than we would expect. Maybe that's happened to you. Certainly, it has happened to me. So if you're here, and this smacks a little close to home, let me encourage you, it's not too late to renew your first love for your spouse and for the Lord. In fact, I know that's true, because one of the characters we've looked a lot at in recent weeks That's his story. You know who I'm talking about, probably the apostle Peter. Remember Peter? When he comes to Jesus, right, Jesus is preaching, he's out fishing, that whole story, the great catch of fish, Peter is so jazzed up about Jesus that he leaves his business, he quits his job to follow Jesus. Talk about being all in. And we know Peter tells everybody about it. He can't stop talking about Jesus. They're all so excited about what Jesus is doing and he's done. It was really awesome. Few of us have made the kind of sacrifices in the beginning of a relationship with Jesus that Peter made. He was close. But we also know in Peter's story what happened. We know there's this moment when Jesus goes on trial where Peter says, I don't know him. Three times he denies Jesus. I mean, he loved him. But when the pressure was on, that love was not strong enough to endure. And so he said, I don't even know who you're talking about. But here's the thing. Jesus loved Peter enough to forgive Peter. and He loves you enough to forgive you. So there's a great passage of scripture where jesus offers peter a second chance understand this there is no end to the grace of god it is extended again and again and again and it was extended to peter after jesus had died on the cross been buried in the ground and had risen again there were a few appearances on one of those appearances peter and his friends had gone back to fishing (laughs) peter was in a pretty bad place he was racked with guilt and shame about his denial. He wondered what it all meant. Wondered if there's any way to, fix, to pick up the pieces and go forward. And lo and behold, Jesus shows up on the beach, and invites them to breakfast. And in John chapter 21, we read about the second chance that Peter gets. But before we we dive into this, I just want to want you to know that words are really important in this passage. And Well, we have a word, love, and we use it the same way. We say, I love you, baby, to your wife. But then you also pet the dog to say, I sure love you. Good boy, good boy, good boy. (laughs) And it's not the same kind of love, okay? I hope it's not anyway. (laughs) It's not the same kind of love. So we have a word, love, and it means all kinds of things. But in the early uh, time when Jesus is there, right, they had different words that explained what love was for different kinds of love. One of the words that they use, you've heard this word before, is agape love, right? Now, sometimes we think of agape as a simple kind of love because it's it's generosity, uh, being kind to people, things like that. That's really true. But at the heart of agape love is something that's extremely hard. Here's what I mean by that. At the heart, the word agape talks about sacrificial love, especially love that we offer someone who doesn't deserve it. All right, so I give you a gift without knowing you, without knowing your story, just because you are you. I give you a gift. Uh, And I do it out of love. I'm kind to you. That's an expression of agape love. An even higher expression of agape love is what Jesus talks about where he says, love your enemies. That's agape love. That's where you say, even though you have wronged me, even though you have hurt me, I still love you. There were two incredible expressions of agape love at the cross. One, when Jesus was being nailed to the cross, what did Jesus say? He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That was a powerful act of agape love. Uh, the second happens in that moment where Jesus cries out, where he feels the weight of our sins, and he cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? He cries out in a loud voice because he's, he's He, the sinless one, has taken on the sin of all humanity, and he's faced the consequence of a broken relationship with God, because that's what sin does. It separates us from God, and he feels a separation he's never felt before, and it's devastating to Jesus. He took on our sins, and so Jesus was the ultimate example of agape love, it's self-sacrificing, paying the ultimate price for your enemies. I mean, Jesus wasn't just dying for the good people on the cross. He was dying for the people who were stabbing him, who were beating him. He was dying for them. That's the highest form of agape love. And so when this passage starts, Jesus says to Peter, says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you, Agape, do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me with the highest kind of love that's possible? Peter already knows that he failed Jesus, he already knows in the moment when I could have loved you like that, I abandoned you. I said I didn't even know who you were. He knows I can't love you like that. I already proved it. I already proved I was a failure. I already proved I can't have perfect love. I blew it. So Peter falls back on another word for love that was used in the first century. It's the word phileo. Now phileo is the word that, it's where we get our city, Philadelphia. It's the idea of brotherly love. It's not just a biological, love, a biological love, although that's part of it. It's also the kind of love that maybe uh, firefighters have for each other when they've gone in and out of burning buildings together and they've risked uh, their lives and put their lives in each other's hands. Or police officers have when, when they've gone into a horrific situation and, and they literally know that that other person has to have my back or I may end up not making out of the situation. Or, yeah, some of you have had to serve in the military, And you've been a part of a band of brothers or a brotherhood where, right, your lives literally, you were brothers in arms. And some of you have had close friends, people who loved you enough that they would have done what Jesus said. He said, uh, for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. A few of you in this place have known that you've had a friend who loved you that much. They would have done anything they could to help you and to, to be with you. Sadly, I know there's others in this room you've never experienced even that kind of love. And that's, too, that, that's sad. I'm saddened that you haven't had someone who loved you that way in your life. But this, this word phileo, it's a, it's a powerful kind of love. It's, it's not the same thing as agape love. It, it, it's not the same thing because it's actually based not on uh, an enemy, it's based on a friend. So this is the kind of love and respect I have for someone who, they've earned it. They've earned it either they earned it by their actions or they earned it by blood they're my actual physical biological brother or sister and so there's a certain thing that comes with that and we try to protect our own right it's like the family that said you know i can pick on my little brother but if you pick on my brother we're going to fight right it's one of those kinds of deals so peter answers jesus and he he knows he already failed at agape And so he doesn't answer. Jesus says, Peter, do you agape love me? And Peter answers back. He says, well, yes, Lord. Uh, You know that I phileo love you. I love you like a brother. That wasn't what Jesus asked. But that's how Peter responded. So Jesus then asked him a second time. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Agape love me. Do Do you love me with this deep, powerful, the greatest love of all? And Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Well, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo. I love you like a brother. And I want you to know that even though Peter had failed when everyone had a when, right, when, when Jesus is on trial and Peter's there in the courtyard and he denies him, Peter's there more or less alone. He doesn't have his band of brothers around him. And that's when he fails. But when he had had the other apostles with them, before the courtyard was the garden, when they had come to get Jesus, and Peter had drawn a sword and he was ready to fight, he had exhibited phileo love. I'll fight for you. He had exhibited it in that moment. So again, he's honestly answering. He's saying, boy, I love you like a brother. I love you with this phileo love. But he doesn't say, I love you with the deepest and highest kind of love. Then something incredible happens. The third time, Jesus is going to talk to Peter. It's appropriate he talks to him three times because Peter denied him three times, the last time with a curse. But Jesus does something remarkable here. Jesus comes and he meets Peter where Peter is. And so instead of asking him a third time, Jesus says, okay, Peter. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you really phileo love me like a brother? Do you really love me that way? Now, Peter was hurt this time because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? Peter says back, Lord, you absolutely know I phileo love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Now, there's another thing that happens in the passage right after this, and and I just want to talk about it. I'm not going to make you read it all. You can read it later. But right as soon as Jesus says this to him, the next conversation they have is, is kind of about a prophecy for Peter's life. And Jesus makes this odd statement to Peter. He says, Peter, he says, when you're old, people are going to take your hand. They're going to lead you where you don't want to go. It's kind of a veiled statement that Peter's going to die for his faith. And there's a conversation that happens about he and John and what's going to happen to them as they move forward in their faith and and some scholars read that and they think this was like a rebuke of Peter. But I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. For one thing, what Jesus told Peter was absolutely true. Uh, Peter's going to find himself in all the same places that Jesus found himself. Peter's going to find himself in that same room on trial. Peter will go there not once but twice he'll be called in. I mean, Peter's going to have to live through those things. And here's the beautiful thing about Peter. We know that at the end of Peter's life, he is faithful all the way unto death. And so that he might be an example for other believers that are under persecution, he boldly, he boldly says that I am a follower of Christ Jesus and I will not recant my faith and I will not denounce him. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. Peter will die for his faith. And he will live out that example of agape love in the end. Because he doesn't just die for himself, he dies in a sense to give other Christians the courage to be faithful unto death. I think Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, right now you don't know if you can love with agape love, but you will. You will, Peter. In the end, you will. Jesus has the remarkable capacity to love those who don't deserve his love. That's hard for us. It's not easy to do that. In fact, I think we can't really do it unless we really draw close to God. In fact, if we're going to accurately love others, we will have to really love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. It'll take everything. Only if we love God that way will we be able to be loving to other people in this world that are around us. And no matter how broken you may feel, hear me right now, God's love still works. And God's love is enough. God's love is enough. In fact, no matter how ugly Sin has marred your life. No matter how disfigured you feel by the the curse of sin, God still sees beauty in you. There's a story that's told by Richard Seltzer. He's a surgeon. He wrote a book that was called Mortal Lessons about things he learned by working with people as a surgeon across his lifetime one of the stories from that book has made the rounds on Facebook. You may not recognize where it came from because people never give their sources on Facebook, but it comes from this book. And Dr. Seltzer tells the story that um, there was a young woman that had a tumor, a cancerous tumor on her face. It was a horrible tumor. It was about to become a life-threatening situation. They had to remove this cancer from her. And uh, he was the surgeon that was tasked with the removal. So Seltzer wrote that as he was doing the surgery, his worst fears were realized when it became clear that this tumor had encapsulated the nerve that controls the side of your mouth. And the only way to excise the tumor was to cut through that nerve. And he, as a surgeon, knew that the moment he cut that, she would be disfigured in a sense for life. So it was a hard choice. And he chose to save her life, but he knew there was a cost. Seltzer knew immediately, even before the surgery had ended, her mouth had begun to sag. After the surgery was over and she had come through recovery, she was reunited with her husband in her room. When Dr. Seltzer entered the room, he knew the kinds of questions that would be in front of him. It didn't do him and did not bring him any comfort that when he walked in, the woman had already gotten a compact from her purse, was looking in a mirror at her face. Her husband was standing beside her at the bed, and the woman, through tears, asked the doctor, will my mouth always be like this? Dr. Seltzer had to say what he didn't want to say. Yes. Your mouth will always be like this. It was necessary to cut the nerve to take out the cancer. The young woman closed her eyes and nodded in silence. And Dr. Seltzer said he could see the tears just Streaming down her cheeks, gut wrenching. To his surprise, her young husband was standing there right next to the bed, and a smile began to come across his face. The doctor thought, What is a shock? What's happening here? And the young husband was looking at his bride, and he said, Honey, you know what? He said, I think it's kind of cute. And, of course, she couldn't believe it, and the doctor couldn't believe it. But unmindful of all of that, the husband bends down. Dr. Seltzer was right there, just a few feet away, where he could see this entire thing unfold. And he noticed how that as her husband bent down, he began to distort his own lips so that he would be able to match her lips when he kissed her. He kissed her full on the mouth. said you know what our kiss still works and it did listen I want you to understand this you have received a kiss from someone who loves you and in spite of the ugliness that sin has brought into your life and he has taken the shape necessary to make sure you could receive his love This is the love of Jesus Christ. And today I want to invite you to renew your love for God. I want you to commit to fostering a deeper relationship with him. I want you to recapture your first love if you're a Christian, and if you're not one, I want to invite you to receive the love of Christ for the first time. And if you are a Christian, you need to do something this week, and I'm going to give you homework, (laughs) I'm asking you to do this this week. I really do want you to do something this week that maybe is commonplace for you, but maybe you've never done it before. I want you to carve out about 15 minutes of a day, one day this week, that's just for you and God. And I want you to go to some place where you won't be distracted by anything or anyone else. Maybe it's your closet, or or maybe it's the shed out back, although don't start tinkering with some project, Or, or, or maybe it's the car. Or, or maybe it's somewhere else in your house. I mean, God doesn't really care where you are when you talk to him. He just wants to talk to you. So I want you to give him 15 minutes, just 15 minutes, just some time with you and God this week. Take your Bible with you. If you don't know what passage to read, hey, by all means, try that old hunt and peck method where you just open it up and draw a finger. If that's nothing else, will work. Here's the truth, right? No word from the Lord will return void, not a single one. <laughs> So, hey, it's all good. Read a little bit. Ponder what it means and talk to God about it. Pray. And then be silent. Let God speak back to your heart. Here's what I think is going to happen. Some of us have been avoiding that moment because we know there's something we don't want to talk about. So maybe you'll experience a lot of that repentance and having to say, God, I know it's a long time since we talked, but uh, the preacher said we have to talk, so let's give it a go. Let's see what happens. I promise you, he just wants to hear your voice. He just wants to hear your voice. He loves you. Like a parent whose child has been estranged and the child calls back, the parent doesn't care about what went wrong and why you're angry at them. They're just glad to hear your voice if they love you. And that's God. Then the hard part. As you reconnect and renew your love relationship with God, the Bible says, as I have loved you, so you have to love one another. So let me encourage you to take it one step further this week. And Joyce, I'm not asking for cookies, okay? I love you. This is not a a shameless appeal, friend. But I want to encourage you to do something nice that expresses love for someone else. Maybe you'll buy someone lunch in line. Mow the neighbor's yard. Write a, a card or a letter to someone who's elderly or homebound. Somebody who doesn't have family around. I don't know how you'll express this love to someone else, but I encourage you to do it. Maybe it's an act of service, or maybe it's an act of kindness. But something will happen that I believe is true, because when we love other people, we also have joined God in God's work, and God will be in the midst of that as well. God has gone to great lengths to show us that we are loved. And I encourage you this week to renew your love for God and for others. It may be that you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. If that's your circumstance, I invite you to make that decision as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation.